Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Go check out Morbidly Beautiful right now for all your pop culture horror needs, from reviews to interviews, introspectives, retrospectives, top 10 lists, anything you can think of. They also have an extensive library of podcasts for you to listen to, and you may have been acquainted with many of those podcasts and hosts on last week's episode, which I hope you enjoyed listening to as much as I did recording it. There's just one last piece of housekeeping to get to this week before we head on straight into the episode, and we do have a five-star review. Now remember, if you do leave a review, you do get it read on the podcast. So this one comes from Mitch, my boy Mitch. I know Mitch. He uh, popped into a couple of my live streams when I was playing some video games on Twitch back in the day, as in like a month ago. Anyway, he goes on to write on Apple Podcasts, Great quick stories with a fantastic host. I've been listening to this podcast for a while, and let me tell you, this man has got it. Casey researches and speaks about spooky legends, stories, and even dives into old-school horror lore. To top that off, Casey has such an ominous yet calming voice. Give this podcast a listen. Thank you so much, Mitch. That means a whole lot to me. And your kind words will be forever remembered, both within me and on the internet forever, because everything lives on the internet for all time. So thank you once again, Mitch. You are a hero amongst men. But now on to today's episode. I've gone over a lot of different things in the past, both literally and figuratively there, as this is a history-oriented podcast, and I often talk about magic and demons, and sometimes the occasional angel, and that's kind of where this episode comes in. Once upon a time, somebody did believe that you could speak the language of the angels, and that language is called Enochian, it's a whole mythos behind it and a little bit of real life history. So, that's what we're going to be looking into this week the Enochian mythos. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. Personally, I am a huge sucker for runes and sigils and signals and all sorts of magical conjuring literature in general. And I'd always heard the term Enochian thrown around in popular media, most specifically in Supernatural, the television show. I looked into it a little bit in the past, but I thought maybe now's the time to do an episode on it. I don't know why, something just struck me with it. So I've been reading up on Enochian magic and the language of the angels, so to speak. And I found some very interesting things. And a lot of this information is going to come from Llewellyn.com, which is a site curated by one Aaron Leitch. I hope I'm saying that right. Anyway, let's just start at the beginning. Aaron goes on to describe the Enochian mythos as such. In the beginning, the creator fashioned the world via a series of divine words. These words were then written in letters of fire upon a series of celestial tablets called the Book of the Speech from God. That book contains the celestial language of creation, the keys to the gates of heaven, and all the knowledge and wisdom in the universe, past, present, and future. 
It appears in many different forms and in different religions around the world. Variously called the Heavenly Tablets, the Tablets of Destiny, the Book of the Secrets of God, the Book of Life, the Book of Lamb, the Book of Thoth, and the Akashic Records, and even Book T, or Tarot. In the Garden of Paradise, Adam fluently spoke the celestial language recorded in the book. With it, he had a familiar conversation with both God and the angels, and also gave true names to all created things. However, when Adam lost his place in paradise, he also lost his knowledge of the secret tongue. He could no longer easily speak with the angels. However, so he might communicate with his family, he created a primordial human language based on his best, yet flawed, memories of the celestial speech. Seven generations later, the prophet Enoch established a new dialogue with the angels. The holy creatures deemed him worthy to visit the heavens, to see the choirs of angels, the throne of God, and the celestial tablets. From them, Enoch transcribed 366 earthly books of wisdom, with which he hoped to restore humanity to its former glory. But alas, Enoch's wisdom was soon lost in the great deluge that destroyed the world. Adam's reconstructed language persisted through Noah's line until the confusion of tongues at the Tower of Babel. There, the primordial human tongue was divided into several different languages, so the builders of the tower could no longer communicate with one another or complete the project. This is the biblical explanation for the various languages of the world. Of all the ancient tongues, the one that remained closest to Adam's original was the one we know today as Biblical Hebrew. No knowledge or memory of the celestial tongue of the angels survived at all. It is important to keep in mind that a lot of this mythos surrounding the Enochian language does come from the Old Testament. So bear with that and keep that in mind as you continue to listen. Now we get into a little bit of the Enochian magic. The biblical, or post-Babel, state of the earthly language lasted well into the 16th century. In the meantime, many scholars had tackled the subject of the celestial language, and even a few attempts have been made to reconstruct it. Yet such attempts were usually simple knockoffs of biblical Hebrew written with astrological characters. They were given such names as Celestial and Malachim, which were and are still used in talismanic magic but they were only feeble shadows of the divine language of creation. Then, in the late 1500s, a new pair of prophets, Dr. John Dee and his scryer, Edward Kelly, took a keen interest in both angels and their lost language. Working at first from various Solomonic grimoires, these men established contact with the same angels to whom Enoch had once spoken. They revealed many magical secrets to the two men, such as how to summon the angels of the planets and the stars, how to descry the secrets of foreign nations, and how to, like Enoch, spiritually visit the celestial realms. Most importantly, Dee also asked the angels to reveal the lost book of Enoch, by which he meant an apocryphal biblical text that preserves the story of Enoch's life and work. Today, this text is called One Enoch, or the Ethiopic Book of Enoch, though it was lost in Dee's time, it was rediscovered in the 17th century, and you can actually find it for free online in many places. The angels agreed to Dee's request. However, what they brought was not the biblical text at all. Instead, they received the celestial tablets, the book of the speech of God, from which Enoch had once copied. To Edward Kelly, 
the book appeared as large as a tome of 49 leaves, written in blood. We assume this was the lamb blood, as mentioned in the book of Revelations, and containing the 49 speeches of God had used to create the world. The angels told Dee and Kelly how to use the book, how to open the gates of heaven, receive revelations directly from God, and to speak with angels in their own native tongue. Though Dee never called it as such, later historians would refer to Dee's material as Enochian magic due to its relationship to the Bible, prophet Enoch. This complex system of magic remained largely hidden in Dee's journals for hundreds of years. When the Order of the Golden Dawn was formed in the late 1800s, they were keen to include Dee's material in their higher grade curriculum. However, they were only aware of a few of Dee's journals, and therefore only a portion of Dee's magical system. They wrongly assumed they had found a rough outline for the incomplete system of angel magic, and therefore applied what they had to in their own system of lodge-style Rosicrucian magic. The result was an Enochian system that appears similar, but is in fact very different from Dee's original system. The Order did not originally know about Dee's planetary magic, nor did they have access to the most important aspect of his system, the Book of the Speech from God. They did have his systems for scrying various locations around the world and for summoning the angels of the stars. They also had a series of 48 invocations in the angelic language, often called keys or callings. They were intended to access the powers of the celestial book, but they did not know the true purpose of the 48 keys. Meanwhile, it was Dee's system for summoning the angels of the stars that formed the backbone of the Golden Dawn's Enochian magic. This was derived from a set of four large word squares called watchtowers that contained the names of God and dozens of angels assigned to the four quarters of the universe. However, the Golden Dawn used a different arrangement of watchtowers in the four cardinal directions that Dee had used, and they devised a different method of decrypting names from the four word squares, resulting in a much larger hierarchy of angels than Dee had intended. The Golden Dawn also interpreted the angels of the watchtowers as creators of the four elements, fire, water, air, and earth. It's important to note that Dee never associated his watchtowers with the elements, instead assigning them only to the four cardinal directions and listing the functions of the angels as mostly alchemical in nature. Finally, because they did not know of the Book of the Speech from God and its magical system, the Golden Dawn assumed the angelic keys should be used to summon angels listed in the watchtowers. Therefore, they divided the keys and applied them to the various groups of angels found throughout the squares. These things, the different arrangements of the watchtowers and the quarters, the new manner of decrypting the names, the application of the four elements of the watchtowers, and the use of the angelic keys to summon the watchtower angels are the very things that make the Golden Dawn Neo-Enochiania a completely different tradition from Dee's original. Beyond this, the Order devised a deeply complex system for applying their own correspondence to each and every watchtower square along with their own rituals for working with the angels. Over the next hundred years, the Golden Dawn would have the largest impact on the modern occult revival, and thus their Neo-Enochian system would become the common standard. Every bit of this system is unique to the Golden Dawn, though many modern students mistakenly believe some of it originated with Dee. 
They do not know that there is a larger and indeed complete system of magic found throughout Dee's collection of spiritual journals. Even those who are aware that more Dee material exists do not often understand the fundamental differences between Dee's magic and what was later taught by the Golden Dawn. In the late 1990s, the advent of the internet brought about a new era of research and communication between scholars. Up to that point, the D material had been considered very obscure and hard to understand. Few had the courage to tackle the material by themselves. Now, however, D scholars and Enochian practitioners from around the world could finally pool their resources. Over the course of about a decade, D's journals were fully vetted and his obscure magical system finally pieced together again. At last, the D purist study of Enochiana came to exist over a hundred years after the Golden Dawn's recension had become standard. Today, it is not uncommon to see Dee's Enochian magic discussed alongside the Golden Dawn's as if they were one and the same. In fact, some intermixing is taking place, mostly on the part of the Golden Dawn magicians borrowing further elements from Dee's journals, such as his angelic summoning tools, and applying them to their Neo-Enochian rituals. You will likely not find such magicians changing the directions or the element associated of the watchtower back to Dee's originals, nor are they likely to remove the angelic keys from their watchtower invocations. Such changes would remove the Enochian system from the Golden Dawn cosmology such practitioners have adopted. The Dee purists, on the other hand, are much less likely to adopt any aspect of the Golden Dawn Enochian material into their studies or practice of the magic. Again, to adopt such changes would be to remove the system from the Renaissance cosmology they know. They stick with what is outlined in Dee's journals, as well as what is described in the grimoires that Dee consulted in his work. The usual mistake of the Dee purists is not misunderstanding the magic, or understanding it only in part, but in assuming that the Golden Dawn somehow has the wrong version. While it is true that the Neo-Enochian system was created from an incomplete view of Dee's material, that doesn't make it inherently incorrect, at least not in any more so than the Golden Dawn's Egyptian material is incorrect, or its Kabbalah, or its alchemy, etc, etc. In all of these cases, the Order adopted aspects of older systems into their own unique framework, creating something new in the process. None of them are pure examples of the originals, but all of them fit into the greater context of the Golden Dawn tradition itself. The Neo-Enochian system is correct from within the Golden Dawn, and those who follow in their footsteps, such as Wicca. But then, the Dee purist system is also correct, in that it is an accurate reflection of what the main man himself recorded. Over the past 20 years, a lot of great work has been done to decipher and restore Dee's system. Much effort has been made to understand the angelic language, the book of the speech from God, the various hierarchies of the angels, and the magical methods D recorded. This new material is only beginning to reach the occult community through forums, blogs, and published books, and students are now only beginning to gain an awareness for the difference between the two traditions of Enochian magic. For the first time in over a hundred years, genuinely new, yet older, Enochian material is becoming available for students. With more on the horizon, without a doubt, this is an exciting time in the realm of Enochian study and practice. Once again, that was written by Aaron Leitch.
from Llewellyn.com. Go check out this whole entire website on Llewellyn. There's a lot of great information about literally everything in terms of mind, body, and spirit stuff. It's very interesting. Go check it out. Now, before we end, I do want to go over the alphabet in particular, as this is one of the more fascinating aspects of this entire research project of mine. There are two different versions of the Enochian alphabet, with one script slightly different from the other. The first is a version found in Dee's manuscript in the five books of the Mysteries, and the second and generally more accepted version in the Liber Logath, the latter being Kelly's original drawings. The script is written from right to left and may include accents. The Enochian letters have English letter equivalents with some of the letters names pronounced as they would be in English, but many are pronounced very differently. The alphabet is used in the practice of Enochian magic or angelic or Enochian keys. They were received through Edward Kelly in 1584 in Krakow, Poland, or Krakow, not sure how to say that one actually. That year, he wrote into his diaries a series of 19 magical incantations. The keys comprise 48 poetic verses and correspond to the various functions within Enochian magic. They are given in the original Enochian language, and a modern English translation based on John Dee's old English versions. There are 22 total letters in the Enochian alphabet, and they do have corresponding letters in the English language as well. Of course, I can't share that with you completely, but you can look it up for yourself. They're very interesting, and they do form a lot of fascinating and interesting symbols. Like I said off the top, Magic runes, sigils, symbols, whatever you want to call them, are very fascinating. Everything I've read about them is they hold a lot of power to those who create them and those who believe in them. Some rituals are very simple, and you can create your own runes and your own sigils and your own symbols and assign meaning to them. And if you believe in them enough, maybe that thing will just come true, whatever that symbol means. Again, there's a whole lot of different ways to do it, and I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, so I suggest you look it up if you are interested in any sort of ancient magics. The world is a crazy place right now, as I said a thousand times over the past couple of months, so maybe you can try to make it a little bit better for yourself. Maybe this is a new hobby. Maybe this is a new belief. Maybe it's a new way of life. But that does it for me today. Thank you for listening. My name is Casey. And if you like what you heard today, please feel free to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. As shown today, any five-star reviews will be read out on the podcast. So if you want to get a shout-out, that's the best way to do it. Don't forget to follow me on social media as well, on Twitter, at HorrorShotsProd, as in production, Instagram, at OminousOriginsPod, or Facebook, at HorrorShots. And in case you're new and you see Horror Shots, Ominous Origins, what the fuck is going on? Well, Horror Shots is the production company that I started way back when. And it is focused on movie reviews, pictures, as in photography, uh, short videos, and short stories. The Ominous Origin podcast is part of that, so to speak. So that's where all that comes in. But enough confusion. If you do want to support the show financially, you can absolutely do so as well by checking out my Redbubble store in the description below. There's some interesting stuff on there, and maybe I'll be adding some more. Who knows? But until next week, thanks for listening.